Moving on to Revelation 17, verse 3. It says, he carried me away in the spirit. He's talking about that angel again. Carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, some will say that since John is being taken away in the spirit, that this wilderness is symbolic. That doesn't hold, because here in Revelation 4.2, we get the same in the spirit. It says, immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. Now, we don't know if John was physically taken there or taken in a vision. Both are possible. Um, but heaven here is real. He is either seeing the real heaven in a vision, or he is physically taken up to the real heaven in a vision. This in the spirit does not constitute you taking something as figurative. John is transported to a literal wilderness. Again, we see in Revelation 21, this phrase in the spirit says he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. This is probably the millennial mountain in Revelation 14 or in Ezekiel 40 to 48. He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. So we have a mountain, which we know to be literal from Revelation 14 and from Ezekiel 40. We had no reason to take those as symbolic. Here he is transported to that literal place, and he sees a literal place, the holy Jerusalem, where we will literally and physically dwell in the future. This is coming down out of the literal heaven. In the spirit does not mean everything after it is taken symbolically. So the wilderness is a literal wilderness. We at this point don't have evidence to show us where this wilderness is, although I do think there are some good hints as we move forward in the text, if we properly understand the other symbols. But next he sees a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Now this one to me is frustrating because I cannot draw as close a link as I would like between her and the harlot. I do believe it is the same in the context it seems to want us to see this woman as the harlot, but she's referred to as the harlot before and the harlot is never equated with this woman. In the context though, I think it is safe to say that the harlot is equivalent with this woman. In Revelation 17, 15 through 16, we see that uh, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the 10 horns which you saw and the beast these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. So we see here that this harlot will be involved in the same um, future as this woman where she will ride the beast. Revelation 17, 4, the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. And in Revelation 18, it calls her a city. Woe, woe, the great city, she who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. So we know that the harlot is a city. We know that this woman is a city, and it is very possible, it is very probable that John is speaking of the same woman. She is sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names who has seven heads and ten horns. Now, this scarlet beast is one we haven't seen yet in Revelation. 
sometimes we just read beast and we skim on and think, um, I already saw this image of a beast. It's the same beast as one that we've seen before, but something is different about him. Here he is not just a beast, but he is a scarlet beast. We saw him in Revelation 13 before he was a scarlet beast. It says, when I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having 10 horns and seven heads, on his horns were 10 diadems. Those were um, crowns of political authority. On his head were blasphemous names. The beast which I saw was like a leopard. Leopards aren't crimson. They're not scarlet. And his feet were like those of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and his great authority. Here we've got this uh, red dragon in Revelation 2.3. That's the one who gave the beast his power and authority. It says, then another sign appeared in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and on his heads were seven diadems. Now there's a lot of similarity here between this dragon and the beast. We looked at those when we did chapter 12. They both have seven heads. Uh, they are both wearing diadems. Those diadems are symbolic of this great authority, which is a literal authority that he has over the literal earth. Uh, <clears throat> but here the dragon is red, and I'm going to equate that with the um, scarlet beast in chapter 17. However, I do have one reservation with that. Here, the red dragon is Puras dragon. Puras is the same word used for uh, fire. It's not a natural red color that you would see on a creature, on an animal. However, the scarlet beast is not Puras, but Kakinas, red, which is a red that you might see in the wild. Um, I think that has more to do with the attraction of the beast itself. That red dragon um, had more symbolism here. It's the scarlet beast, which is a red colored beast. Uh, I think the, the change or the application to a different creature here is, is uh, decent. But again, I, I hold this with uh, just a little bit more than a grain of salt, that the intention of this scarlet beast is to link it more closely with that red dragon. And why I think that is, is because at this point, as we see the red uh, or the scarlet beast, I think he is indwelled by Satan himself, where we actually have these two creatures merged into one. And why I think that is because Revelation 13, 3 through 4 shows us that the false Christ will be killed and seemingly resurrected. It says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain and his fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshiped the dragon because of his authority or because he gave his authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with the beast. So he is the, this scarlet beast, I believe is the false Christ. Uh, probably more specifically the false Christ government, that political system of the false Christ. And he is now a scarlet color. Um, this scarlet, I, I do think, relates probably as well to the um, scarlet or crimson 
um, of the blood of Christ, because uh, this is what the end goal is, is for the world to accept this false Christ as the Christ. So uh, I'd forgotten that that was uh, one of those elements that I thought of why they would use Kakinos instead of Huros. Anyways, he has seven heads and 10 horns. Here's my, or the uh, imagery, images that I think uh, kind of pull this idea together. You've got this beast out of the sea and you've got this red dragon that gives him the power, his power. And after his resurrection, we just see one beast and we see it um, having elements of both. Both had many similarities ahead of time, um, but now their elements are, their similar elements are even more dramatic. All right, so these seven heads and 10 horns, these are defined for us later in the chapter, chapter 17. If you read through it beforehand, you probably caught these because we get something interesting again going on here where we get a double symbol. We get a symbol explaining a symbol and then we get the actual referent for it um, at the end. So it says here, here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains. So it appears that the seven mountains would be the actual referent. It says the seven mountains on which the woman sits. Then in verse 10, it says they, referring back to the mountains, agreeing in gender and number. They are the seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. When he comes, he must remain a little while. So now she's sitting on these seven mountains, which are actually seven kings. We're not given any explanation of what these mountains might be, uh, but we do understand these seven kings. In Revelation 17, 12, it says the 10 horns which you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received a kingdom but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. So now we've got a set of seven kings on which this woman sits, and we have a set of uh, 10 kings, which she's not sitting on. So there's a lot of different elements here. Significant that the woman is sitting on these seven kings, though, and not the 10 because when we go back to Daniel chapter 7, we get our answer for this. And Daniel 7 is really the fountainhead for all prophecy. When we have something we don't understand in Revelation, we go back to Daniel first to check it. It's like Daniel part 2, Revelation. is It's the New <laughs> Testament Daniel. So here, Daniel 7, verses 2 through 3, we get an image of four beasts says, Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Oops. And four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. Now these we are supplied definitions for. We know that they are symbolic. Daniel 7, 7 through 8. See, can I have someone else read? I'll read it. Thanks. 
Okay, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the, the, the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. While it was con contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it, and behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. Thank you. So this does look a little bit to us like our image in, um, in Revelation 17. We've got these great boasts. We've got horns. We've got heads. Um, but this is still in a very symbolic vision that Daniel is getting. And Daniel gets... Uh, uh, or does a, a very good interpretive, or takes a very good interpretive measure here, and uh, he seeks not his own imagination, but um, a reasonable explanation from authority. He had an angel standing by him. We don't have that. We seek the scriptures to understand symbols, but thankfully he asked this question because that helps us to understand what these are as well, and we want to take this angel's explanation of these symbols as truth and not try to spiritualize the answer. So here in Daniel 7, 16 through 17, uh, Daniel says, I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. He said, these great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will rise from the earth. Keep in mind the future tense, that's important. They will arise from this earth. Then he continues a little later because Daniel says he wants to know specifically more about this fourth beast. In Daniel 7.23, thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, the fourth one, out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise and another will arise after them. And he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. So we are getting more literal language. He's describing the picture and the image that Daniel is seeing. And the description is exactly the same sort of description that we get in Daniel 17, but we have a different perspective on the prophecy then. Here it's from Daniel's day looking forward. In chapter 17, we are getting the whole picture from beginning to end. So in Daniel 7:25, he will speak out against the Most High. He will wear down the saints of the Highest One, and in this case, the church does not yet exist. The saints of the highest one is a reference to Israel specifically. He will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time, which we can easily see how that is one plus two, one plus a plural, plus a half, three and a half. Um, we later get this defined for us at the end of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12. Um, that we've got those 1260 days or three and a half years. So 
So that's half of the tribulation period. If you look at Daniel chapter 9, you get that tribulation period as seven whole years. Daniel 2, 40 through 41 gives us a different perspective on this fourth beast. Because Daniel's vision of these four beasts is from the perspective of Israel. To Israel, these four kingdoms are kingdoms that trample them down. But in Daniel 2, we get the same image from the perspective of a Gentile kingdom, specifically one of these four kingdoms. And so it is not as negative a picture. In fact, it's a positive picture. In Daniel 2.40, says, Then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all those in pieces. In that you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it uh, the toughness of iron inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. So we put these together and we put it together with revelation and we see it's going to be a strong and ferocious kingdom that crushes down others in the whole world, but it's going to have internal strife, um, possibly even civil war within it that ends up um, at least seemingly bringing it down. We know that ultimately it is the stone or the rock of heaven cut without hands that crushes this kingdom and grows into a kingdom of its own. Um, we'll do more on that when we get to uh, Daniel, but we get the interpretations of these from Daniel. It says that these are mysteries, and then Daniel goes and interprets them because God reveals these mysteries to him. The head was Babylon. The breast and the arms were the Medes and Persians. The belly was Greece, and or the belly and the thighs were Greece. The legs were iron. Those were Rome. And then the feet Iron and clay were a final kingdom. In Luke 21, we get another perspective on these from another point in time. So we're, we're dropping a lot of pegs on our prophetic timeline and getting different perspectives. Um, we are, in essence, triangulating this prophecy. Um, Luke 21, woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress upon the land and great wrath to this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. These series of kingdoms are what we call the times of the Gentiles. These seven heads, which are ten kings. Uh, as we continue in Revelation 17, we're going to see that these are successive kingdoms. It starts with Egypt and Assyria, and those are prior to Daniel's vision. So they are not part of Daniel's vision. Daniel's vision is starting in the present and looking forward. So he starts with Babylon, the first beast, which was um, where Judah, or not Judah, yet um, Judah was taken under captivity by Babylon. And Babylon was the nation which crushed Jerusalem. Assyria did not, Egypt did not, Jerusalem didn't exist yet at the time of Egypt, at least not as a Jewish settlement. Um, 
And so those were nations that trampled down Israel, but not Jerusalem specifically. That would be the first beast, Babylon. The second, Medo-Persia. In Daniel 5, we see them take over Babylon. Then Greece, which ruled uh, into the intertestamental period um, and was taken over by Rome uh, before that era ended. It ruled through the gospel era and then forth or forward. So those five that have fallen are Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. And then it says that one still is at the time of John's writing. That was Rome. And then another is yet to come. And that is the false Messiah's kingdom in the first half of the tribulation. And then it says that he is um, also an eighth himself. So here, Revelation 17, um, 9, we read. Five have fallen, one is, another is yet to come, and when he comes, he must remain a little while. And the beast, which was and is not, is himself also an eighth king. That beast, which was and is not, looks back to chapter 13, his death and seeming resurrection. He himself uh, is an eighth king and is one of the seven. He goes to destruction. So here we have that revived satanic kingdom, the time of Jacob's trouble, where Satan is cast down to earth. He indwells the false messiah. And so this is another sim similar but revived kingdom. So here when we look at Revelation 17, we see the wilderness is not a symbol. We don't yet know what it is in the context. We're going to keep investigating. The woman is at least a city, if not synonymous with the harlot. The scarlet beast is the false Christ who is now scarlet colored. The seven heads are world kingdoms, successive world kingdoms. We get that from Daniel because we weren't supplied enough information to identify them in Revelation. But without using too much imagination, uh, we are able to see from Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 what those world kingdoms were. And then the ten horns are the final global leaders who are uh, synchronous with the false Christ because he is going to subdue three of them. Uh, three of them at least are going to have to be contemporaneous with him. Uh, those ten seem to be ten final kings who rule at the same time, and he takes out three of them. So we have um, civil war in essence with this false Christ um, tearing down three of his own or of the kingdoms present in his own um, government.